It's John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said that. Let's say it one more time. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life that Jesus promised. Our next topic that we're going to discuss today is fellowship. Uh, This quote is from Bud Wilkinson. If a team is to reach its full potential, each player must be willing to subordinate his personal goals to the goals of the team. Uh, Bud Wilkinson was the coach for the University of Oklahoma for almost 20 years. Uh, I remember him more so as a as a commentator and an announcer. Um, great coach for the University of Oklahoma during during some uh, during some heydays of of good old fashioned football. So talent wins games, but teams win championships. Uh, never a true, never a more true statement was made. Uh, you can have the most talented quarterback on a team, but if he don't have anybody to pass it to, then he doesn't look very talented. You can have the most talented running back on a team, but if he don't have any holes to run through, he can't run over everybody. Although Bo Jackson would have, uh, he would have begged to differ. He could run over most people. But uh, talent. That wins some games, but teams win championships. When teams are not winning, players are concerned with their own press, with their own stats. Uh, We see this so often in in sports today. Uh, But when teams are winning, players are concerned with the group success. They're concerned with the championships that they can win together. Vince Lombardi... uh, Legendary coach of of, uh, the Green Bay Packers. He said, an individual commitment to a group effort. That's what makes a team work. A company work and a civilization work. Very true statement. Uh, Vince Lombardi, I submit to you that this pattern of individual commitment to a group Uh, to a group effort is exactly the pattern that God has laid out for the church. There's so many cogs in a church that work together to make make the church a better place, make the congregation, the local congregation, a better place. One person or a small group of people can't possibly meet the needs of a large congregation of 400 people. Uh, but when everybody is doing a small portion, when everybody is doing what they can do to help, then so many people are, are more taken care of, better taken care of. The, the shut-in list that we have, it's, it's probably 40, 40 plus people on that list. It would be virtually impossible for a small group of people to take care of all those, to check on all those, to, to see about all those. But if we do that collectively, uh, then so much more can get done. Team together, everyone accomplishes more. 
Paul used an, an analogy of the body to explain the value of teamwork in the church. First uh, Corinthians twelve twelve. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are all still one body, so also is Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, it, it, is a, it is a rich passage. The whole chapter is a rich passage to discuss the subject of fellowship and respecting each person's contribution and the importance of using our talents to the glory of God. Let's, let's look at uh, part of this chapter together as we go through uh, some of this. 1 Corinthians 12 Verses 15 through 19. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, would it? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body, would it? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged all the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It takes every part of the body to make it fully functional and, to, and fulfill God's plan for the human body. But it also takes every part of the body, the body of Christ, the church, the local congregation, to fulfill the ultimate goals that God has set forth for the church. We don't have to be a, a hero. We can all do our part, whatever that part is. And make no mistake, every person has a part. Whether you're a shut-in, whether you're a very active member that can, that can uh, load trucks and, and load trailers and, and, and do all kinds of things like that, uh, whether you're a person that can just sit down at your table and write a card of encouragement. Uh, cards of encouragement are one of the greatest things that so many of you do tremendously well. I've been the recipient of so many of those cards, and I know that you have as well. And I'm very thankful for those who take the time to write a note of encouragement uh, when somebody might be feeling low, sick, uh, whatever it is. In 1 Corinthians 12, and so 12, 15 through 19, is to value each other's talents. Uh, and, and, and we could talk a whole lot more about individual talents. The next is 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 28 through 30 to value each other's roles. And God has appointed in the church first the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
are all teachers. Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still and I will show you still a more excellent way. Now I know that Paul is writing to the Corinthian brethren, and in this time there were so many miraculous gifts that were that were handed out, that were given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, by, by different measures that they had. Um, we don't have those today, but we do still have uh, verse 31. Love is the key to harmony. And certainly we still do have teachers. We still, we still do have uh, those that uh, not possess the gift of healing, but we have those who can heal the spirit can heal the soul in different ways. When he says love is the key to harm, and he doesn't say that here in verse 31, does he? Verse 31 says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will, still, and I will show you still a more excellent way. What is the next chapter all about? 1 Corinthians 13, love. We call it the love chapter. He says in that chapter that if you, if you can do all these things, if you can heal someone, if you can you know, give everything that you have to help the poor, if you can do this or this, but if you don't have what? If you don't have love, then what? Somebody said, you're nothing. What you do is useless. In the grand scheme of things, if you don't have love. So love is the key to harmony in the body. Love is the key to harmony in our families. Love is the key to harmony in the church. You know, there, there are so many families in this world that, that uh, they don't have love. Some, some don't even, uh, with, within their family... Uh, find it difficult to talk with each other, to sit with each other, to visit with each other for, for a number of reasons, I suppose. Uh, some of them may be uh, reasonable reasons. Um, but I guarantee you that if each side possesses love, then there's going to be some reconciliation. Um, we can have problems in the church. Uh, where brothers and sisters in the church uh, have a difficulty uh, that they haven't resolved. I, I, I pray that those things don't go too long, that those things don't fester too long, where we forget why we even, why we even don't care to be around one another. Because that's not what the church is all about. If you don't care about being around your brethren when you're here on this earth, then you probably won't have to worry about it when you get to heaven because you probably won't be there. Troubles arise when pride and selfish, selfishness enters the picture. In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, what does the Bible say there? 
it says exactly that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significantly than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Look out for the other's interest. Big egos equal big problems. If we all looked out not only to our own interest, but specifically and preferred the other more than myself, we would be hard-pressed to have any problems in our families, in our marriages, in the church, what, whatever the case may be. Uh, problems would be much, much more diminished if we did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counted others more significant than myself. So troubles arise when pride and selfishness enter the picture. Don't be a prima donna in the church. Vanity disrupts a group. Talent is minimized by insensitivity and difficulty. Put the church before myself. Put the local congregation before myself. Put my wife before myself. Commit to Christ first. Then we commit to His church. So the church is God's dream team. If, if the Chicago Bulls were the dream team of basketball in the 90s, I think they won, I think they won six championships uh, possibly in the 90s. Is that right, Steve? Do you know? I don't know either. But I think they did. I know they won six championships. They were the dream team of professional basketball. Uh, they had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Steve Kerr and, and all, those, all those greats. Um, but on a spiritual level, the church is God's dream team. We have that with us today. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. The church was conceived by God. It enlarges His kingdom through salvation. And it certainly improves people's lives as we're sanctified, as we're set apart, as we're different, as, as we're sanctified by God. Uh, so a quote, this quote is from Margaret Mead. Um, she was a studier of people. I think you call that an anthropologist. Uh, but she was a, she was a writer, uh, but she said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people 
can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Twelve men turned the world upside down from the beginning of Acts. Acts 17.6, we talked about this uh, just a little bit last week. Um, and I couldn't recall the verse. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city's, city authorities shouting. They were looking for Paul at this point. Paul and Barnabas, I believe. Uh, they might have been looking for... <laughs> I should do a little more research before I bring up some of the scriptures, shouldn't I? Uh, Acts 16, I think Paul and Silas were in prison, so maybe they're looking for Paul and Silas at this point. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, These men have turned the world upside down. These men that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, this could be somewhat hyperbole, um, and certainly it was, um, but if 12 men could make the impact that they did in the first century church. What can we do as a group of committed, loving Christian individuals in the Dalreda church? What can we do if we really set our mind to do something that was amazing? What can we do if we set our mind to do something that could not possibly be done if God wasn't a part of it. Let's think about that and challenge ourselves to think about what we could do better. The church is a band of brothers who fight the good fight. Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Hmm. Sorry. Hebrews 2 and verse 11. For he who is sanctified and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus sanctified us, set us apart. He's not ashamed to call me and you brother and sister. The church is a band of brothers who fight the good fight. We're protectors of the once delivered faith. We're defenders of those who have been downtrodden. We're liberators from those who are in spiritual bondage. We seek those who are lost. And as a church family, we support those who are saved. No greater cause could ever be conceived than the church that God has established through His Son, Jesus. So what does the ideal church look like? Everyone moving forward in service to God, in service to each other, in service to mankind, those that are, that are not part of the local congregation, and in service to spiritual growth. The ideal church has God first, puts God first. And then we serve each other. Then those outside of the church. And all of this builds spiritual growth. 
if everyone is moving forward, success is going to take care of itself. But without the support of God's team, we lose our vision, we lose our passion, and at, but as a team, we maximize growth and effectiveness. So let's look at the first commitment. We're going to have three commitments today in this lesson. The first commitment of, of any person that make, makes himself a part of a local congregation. Uh, when you do that, you say that you're, you're putting yourself under the authority of local elders. These, per, these people are called shepherds, pastors, bishops, presbyters. Those are all interchangeable terms used throughout the New Testament for elders. Your elders are responsible for the welfare of the local church. When you place yourself under the direction of that local eldership, then you're submitting to, to an authority that, that, that God has given local elders. This is not an authority that should ever be lorded over someone, that should ever be held over someone like, like, like we are mightier and better than anyone else. Indeed, the, the responsibility of an elder is, is a responsibility of, of, a, of a real servant. If you're not willing to be a real servant, then you have no business uh, aspiring to be an elder. Um, if we, there's so much we could say about the responsibilities of elders. And I want you to know that as we get together uh, as elders in our elders meetings and, and, and discuss things, we have the church's best interest at heart. We pray for individuals. We pray for the church as a whole. We want the local congregation here at Delrada to be all that it can be. So the Bible tells us to obey those who rule over us and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. That is the most humbling um, and scary passage uh, to me as an elder. I not only have to give an account for my own self, for my family, but I have to give an account for the church. It's the local congregation here at Delreda. And so often, I think we all feel woefully uh, inadequate uh, when we try... When we try our best, we feel woeful, woefully inadequate. Um, but it is our responsibility that we've, that we've accepted and, and we try to do it with the best that we can do. So let them do so without, with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. That would be unprofitable for the congregation if your elders could not serve with joy and without grief. That's Hebrews 13, verse 17. So, but what if I disagree with the elders? That's okay. Say so respectfully. 
come to us and talk to us, sit down with us. So many of you uh, are very uh, good about this in, in a very loving way. Cooperate in matters of judgment. Believe that the elders genuinely care for you. And give them the benefit of the doubt, just like you would anybody else. And consider, back to that passage we read other, consider others' interests above my own. The success of the local church is tied to the success of the elders. Therefore, the success of the local church is everybody's business. In 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 through 13, the Bible reads, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their, for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. A church that is at peace is a church that can accomplish more than a church that is in constant turmoil and putting out fires and, and dealing with the turmoil that might happen from, from within sometimes. Let's strive to be at peace with each other. So give your elders plenty of love and respect and appreciation. Likewise, your elders owe you plenty of love and respect and appreciation. If we do this mutually, then the church and the local congregation is going to grow. It's going to be stronger. Do people have to be perfect for you to love them, respect them, and appreciate them? I hope not. Because Jesus is the only one that's ever fit that mold. We're all imperfect people trying to do God's perfect work. So number one, commit to your elders. Number two, commit to the assemblies. Y'all, so we, we, we discussed just a moment this list. A number of shut-ins that we have. This is not talking to those people. Um, they would be here if they could. They want to be here. When we talk to them over the phone or go to them and visit with them, one of the things that they always say is, oh, I wish I could be there. I wish I could get out and, and, and be about. I know when, when I got sick for those few weeks and couldn't be here leading up to the surgery and, and after the surgery, it was, it was tough not to be around people. I love people. I want to be around people. But every one of us experienced this in 2020 when we, when we felt it was the right thing to do to, to not meet together in person for a little while. And I remember the first time that we, we met up on the hill here and all stayed in our cars and all felt weird about it. But it was what we did to try to be together, to try to assemble and be together and have some kind of fellowship. Thank God that those days are, are behind us. In Hebrews 10 and verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be looking forward to coming together. One of the things that we do as a result of coming together is to grow in love and good works. Hebrews 10.25 says, Don't forsake the coming together. Because some of you are doing that. As, as the, the Hebrew writer tells them, some of you are neglecting to meet together. Don't do that. Let's come together as a church family. Think about any relationship that you care about. What's going to be required of that relationship if it's going to grow? What's going to be required of any relationship if that relationship's going to grow? <laughs> Absolutely. Relationship. There's no way to have a relationship if you're never together. There's no way to have, uh, you know, you would never get married if you never uh, took that young lady or, or, or that out on the first date together to be together, to spend time together. Relationships that you care about are ones that you're going to invest in. I care about you. And I'm going to invest in you as best that I can. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, drifting comes from neglecting these things. Maybe you could think of more things. But when you think about the local church, when you think about spiritual matters, when you think about any low points in your life that you've ever experienced where you felt like you weren't close to the church, did you find that there was a problem in your study life? Did you find that there was a problem with worshiping? Did you find that there was a problem in your prayer life? Did you find that there was a problem uh, that was causing you not to fellowship with your brothers and sisters? We need to commit to the assemblies because they cause us to grow. They cause us to encourage one another as we see the day approaching. The purpose of attendance is not an arbitrary act of obedience, test of obedience. It's God's means for molding His people. So I pray that you will take full advantage of the transforming power that can come from being together. So right now we meet on every first day of the week. We meet on every Wednesday, and we meet on the third and fourth Sundays. Those are the days that, that the eldership for this local congregation has set forth. Are these, are these times optional? The early church gathered daily. They looked for any reason they could have to be together. And this was for a number of reasons. Um, there was a great need uh, that they had during that time. And there was, there was strength in numbers. Uh, and it, was, it also brought them great joy uh, to be together. Um, those who understand what takes place 
in Christian assemblies, they yearn for more. I want to be together. When, when the elders uh, did those first few uh, in the auditorium with, without y'all being here, Brother Bob couldn't, he couldn't help himself. He was, he was visibly emotional because he said, this is just, it's not, it's not the way God planned it. We need to be together. And, and so that's the, that's the attitude. That's the thought process that we need to have as we prepare for making ourselves available for fellowship and worship. Delinquency reveals something about our values. It reveals a lot about our values. So, when we think about our assembly times and being together, let's ask the right questions. What's best for my family? What's best for the church? If I'm here, am I going to be an encouragement? If I'm not here, then who am I going to discourage? What blessing will I miss out if I'm absent? What is the best use of my time? What would Jesus want me to do? It's not do I have to attend. I was talking to one of my young great great nieces or nephews uh, earlier this week and uh so they had something that they wanted to do and and uh and so oh but we got we got church on sunday do we have to can can we just do it online this this is coming from them can we just do it online we said no why why would you want to why would you not want not want to be around those that you love just to do something else that you might think, and and this is coming from a young person's heart, and this is coming from a young person that that, uh, is not there yet, a very young individual, but they they need to see me and you when we're here. They need to see their friends in Bible class when they come together. It is important that we set the right example for our kids and for our grandkids, for our nieces and nephews, um, that they will see the importance of coming together. So the elders request your presence. And if if you've placed yourself under the authority of the local congregation, the local eldership, your presence in Bible class becomes so important. Uh, we, We try to provide lessons that are meaningful and that are that are cross uh, cross the board. That would something that would apply to the young professionals, to the home builders, to the prime timers, to all the groups that we have. We try to provide lessons that are good for those. Um, we provide times that will help us grow, and they're needed for the church health and growth. We build unity, mutual love, commitment, and we all become more effective. So it's when we choose not to be here, when we choose not to be here, it's many sins rolled into one. 
It discourages your brethren. It sets a bad example for your family. It hurts you and me. You're going to be weaker and you will be more likely to stumble when your priorities are misplaced. That's a big one. That's You're going to be weaker and you're more likely to stumble in this world when you don't spend time with your brethren. It's an offense to God when we choose not to come to worship Him. When we choose a lesser priority. So little habits make great rewards. Greatness in life is made up of the little things that you do and not the heroic displays of faith reserved for those rarest occasions. We talked about last week that young lady who was married and her husband uh, was in a terrible accident and he was, he was an invalid for 20 plus years. But that daily commitment that she had to him because she took him for better or for worse. What is the daily commitment that we have for each other? Do we need to re-examine ourselves to be more committed to each other? To try and find ways to encourage one another when we see the day approaching. Last commitment. We've committed to the elders. We've committed to the assemblies and our brethren. We need to commit to loving one another. The church is made up of people. And people are bundles of needs that are just wrapped in flesh and blood. There's a mutual dependency uh, that people have, and it's the mutual dependency is part of God's perfect design. It's just part of our DNA. God created people to need people. Each of us was born with a need that we could not supply on our own. One person cannot possibly satisfy all of our needs. I submit to you that God has designed us to need friends, satisfying work, healthy uh, time of quietness, time to play and unwind, and other life experiences to fulfill our soul's greatest need. One, one preacher once said um, he was worried that his, his relationship with his wife um, was limiting his wife's um, connection to God. Um, and, and she later she later admitted this in the, in the, in the book that we were reading, uh, that she was depending on her husband to fulfill certain needs that he could never fulfill for her. And, and the same would be true in the reverse. There are certain needs that only God can, can fulfill. There are certain needs that, that no one on this earth can fulfill. Those spiritual needs, that spiritual feeding that we get when we read through God's Word. Examples of those who need are the children, it's everybody. Children, aged people, sick, those are burdened. 
Everybody has needs. And as Christians, we meet each other's needs. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let's look at Galatians 6 and verses 1 through 2 real quickly. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too become tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When someone is spiritually sick, we go to them and we admonish them gently and in love. We bear each other's burdens. Let's, uh, let's close out with this one. I think this one uh, says it more than anything. First uh, Peter 4 and verse 8. I don't have that here. But First Peter 4 and verse 8. What if a brother or sister uh, finds another brother or sister in sin? What are we obligated to do? Let's read together First Peter 4 and verse 8. This verse says, above all, and I'm going to add a little bit here. Above all, more than anything else, there's no greater requirement than this. Keep loving one another earnestly. Literally, meaning boiling over, burning up inside, a love that's on fire for each other. And what does this kind of love do? It covers up a multitude of sins. This word cover literally means to, to roof over, to cover over completely, to cover up. Despite his or her mistakes, we're talking about a brother or sister that we've, that we've found in sin. We're not, we're not ignoring that sin. We're not brushing that sin under the rug. But this is the attitude that we should have when we try to go and restore that person. We cover them up. We put them under our wing. We do everything that we can to protect them from the things that are going to come from the persecutions that might come from the sin that they've chosen. We do this not to expose them or cast them out. We roof over them so that we can protect them and love them as they come back to Jesus. So finally, teamwork is less about me and more about we. The question is not whether teams work. It's whether I will take my place on God's team to enjoy the benefits He intended. The church is God's green team for the ages. They help me and you. They help us guide our families through a treacherous world. They love and they care for the needs and support the growth of each individual. Thank you for your time, and I pray that this lesson was encouraging to you.